Hello, Harvest Community Church. It is great to be with you today as we continue in the book of Mark. Uh, if, if you were with us last week, I know with us, like not in the building, but in your home and watching online, then, then you, you got to hear a, an amazing sermon about the resurrection of Christ, right? And how we have an unshakable hope as Christians because our hope is not in this fading world. Our hope is in the sure truth that that Jesus went to the cross, that he resurrected from the grave, that he's now ruling and reigning on high, and he's coming back for his bride, right? So that was last week. But I want you to go back two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we had Pastor Mike unpacking the passage where the disciples got to hear a really difficult saying, right? They were dealt a a pretty difficult card deck, let's say. The, the beginning of, of Jesus's earthly ministry started off with a bang, right? It was awesome. It was exciting. And anticipation was building. But as the disciples got to watch him do all these different miracles and preach good news wherever he went, that momentum started to build. But then two weeks ago, it was, it was amazing because Peter realize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, right? And, 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 and Jesus was like, yeah, absolutely. Heaven revealed that to you. But then Jesus revealed a bit of truth to him. And he said, listen, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And Peter, he couldn't hear that. That didn't fit in his thinking. And he said, absolutely not, Lord. And if you remember, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan, Right? And it's because he was thinking with the things of, of man, not with the mind of God. And so, as that news landed on Peter and on the disciples, you have to think that, like, morale probably hit an all time low, right? It, it probably seems like a distant memory when, when Jesus was triumphant and all these things. When they hear that he had to suffer and die, that was a game changer for them. But not only did they hear that, but they also heard that they themselves were going to have to pick up their cross, and this is what it would mean to follow Jesus. And that's where we pick it up today, right? This had to become a surprise to them in so many ways, because they would expected God to come back. They were waiting for the Messiah, but they expected him to come in power and in glory and to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, But they expected that would mean that they would come, that Messiah would come, that he would crush Rome. Because Rome had been steadily increasing in power over the last 200, 300 years. They were a dominating force. They were an oppressor. And so Messiah coming back would mean that Messiah was coming to crush Rome. They were not ready to hear that Messiah was not coming back to crush Rome, but that indeed he was coming to be crushed. They they couldn't understand that. And my guess is morale's low, confusion's high, because they're thinking all the things that Jesus had just taught them. They're thinking over the last amount of time that they had just spent with him. And that's where we pick it up today. Mark chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verse 2 through 13, but I'm just going to take my time, we're going to look at the text, and we're going to start with verses 2 and 3. So follow along with me as I read. It says, and after six days... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Okay, let's stop because that's a lot, right? So six days have passed. 
Now, Mark, generally, he'll go from one section of Scripture and he'll say, and immediately, right? But right now, we've got six days since Jesus dropped the news on them that he was going to have to suffer, that he was going to have to go to the cross, that he was going to have to die, and that they would have to do the same, that they would have to suffer, that they would have to pick up their own cross if they were going to follow Jesus. So I don't know what happened in those six days, but I know what happens now because the word tells us, right? He takes his three closest guys to the top of a mountain. And we know from Luke's account that they went there to pray. And this was going to be the highlight of their whole ministry and time with Jesus, right? Because we see here that it says that Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. Without any warning, we see that Jesus turns in, like, he, he literally changes, right? To transfigure means to go, like, through a metamorphosis, a transformation, to literally change. That's what it says. It says that his clothes became radiant, and, and intensely white. You can see that, that Mark's reaching for language here. So much so that he's, he wants to make sure. Like this is nothing that any dry cleaner could ever, ever do, right? This dude is white. Like you can't bleach his clothes like I'm talking about. Like light was emanating from Jesus like, like heat emanates from the sun. He was transfigured. In, in Matthew's gospel, it actually says that Jesus' face shone like the sun. So, so imagine this. I, I know it's hard to imagine it because you've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like this. But just think about the fact that they're going and they're hiking up a mountain. And, and they're like, another day with Jesus. They're still processing all the news and information that they just got. When suddenly, dude's face turns like the sun. Okay, that's pretty freaky, right? And, and it makes me wonder in this moment, like, why here? Why here on this mountain? And why now in the writing of Gospel Mark, right? Why? Well, my guess, my guess is that God the Father, in his kindness, was pulling back the curtain to show the glory of his Son in, in order to encourage the faint of heart and to give them an amazing preview of what's to come in the future because they needed some good news right now. They needed to understand a bit more of the picture as Jesus was unpacking that. And, and by the way, if that wasn't shocking enough to see Jesus transfigured, right? Like, look who appears with him, right? Look at verse four. It says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Okay, I mean, this is, this is stunning, right? Like, this had to be quite the moment for Peter, James, and John. As they are looking at Jesus, his face is shining like the sun. Okay, that's, that's awesome enough. But now, you've got two of the, their, their mega heroes from the Old Testament, right? How do they know, by the way, that it's Elijah and Moses? I don't have a clue. Did they have name tags on? Did they recognize them because they had action figures or trading cards? Don't have a clue. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I do know this. They recognized who they were. And they would have absolutely adored and loved these men because these men were used mightily by God to, to accomplish his will and his purpose. So this had to be quite unsettling, right? Because Number one, Jesus' face shining like the sun. That's unsettling enough. But now you've got Moses who's been dead for, let's say, 1,500 years. And shazam, like he's there now. And then you've got Elijah who's been not around for 900 years. And the last time that they even heard about him was when like, God sent down like, a chariot of fire to pick up Moses, to, or, uh, Elijah, to take him back up 
to heaven, right? Like it was like some Uber driver from heaven to deliver him back home. And now they're both there and they're on the mountain. Imagine what has gone through their mind. And what are they doing? What are they doing? They're just shooting the breeze. They're just hanging. They're talking with Jesus. Like this is just like another normal day in the life of the disciples. Actually, there's nothing normal about this at all. It's quite stunning. And, and as, as I think about it, you think like, what would you do in that moment? I don't know what I would do. But I, but I know this, you would think that you'd be speechless. You would think that you would just forget everything that's happening and you'd get on your face and you'd worship. Well, I don't know what I would do. I think I'd be speechless, but guess who's not speechless? That's right, Peter, right? Have no fear because Peter's here. And look what he says. Look what he says in this moment. Peter says to Jesus in verse five and six, he says, Rabbi, it is good that we are here right? Like, yeah, it is. Like, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for he was terrified. I mean, Peter never being at a loss for words, he states the obvious here, right? Like, dude, this is awesome. Like, it's good to be here, Jesus. It's awesome to see you in all your glory. Like right now, we got Moses, we got Elijah. And like, like, let's, I don't know, let's just like, let's camp. Right, let's just pitch some tents. Let me, I'll do it, man. I will serve. I'm here to serve. I'll pitch three tents, one for each of you. And we'll just like, we'll just hang out here on the mountain. Let's forget the other disciples that are at the bottom of the hill because you left them down there anyway, Jesus. You brought just your three favorite. I get it. Now you got Moses, you got Elijah and, and your buds. Let's just go camping. Which is, <laughs> it seems so strange that he would say that. Yet, honestly, as I was looking at this text and reading different commentators' uh, thoughts on it. Listen to what they, they're saying. They're like, Peter was thinking about tabernacle. He was thinking about God tenting with the disciples, right? That he came down. But I got to tell you, I totally don't see that. <laughs> I just don't see that. And I'm not saying I'm smarter than the, the, the commentary people. I'm not. But I, I disagree with that because look at verse 6, right? It says, he said this because he didn't know what to say, Right? There's no instruction manual for this moment. I feel for him, right? Because have you ever been in a moment where everything just seems so beyond you? It seems so weighty that you have to say something to break the silence, to break the magnitude of everything that's happening, right? I've been in that moment too many times. I've opened my mouth and insert foot. I think that's what's going on here with Peter because, like I said, there's no instruction manual for this moment right? Like there are instruction manuals for so many things in life. And I'm thankful for them, by the way. And now they come on in like YouTube, right? So I can learn how to change things on my car, how to fix a dryer, how to do this or that. And I can watch somebody do it on a video and I can generally follow that. You have no instruction manual for this moment. Peter doesn't know what to do. And the best that he could come up with is like, can we go on like a camping trip with you guys? I mean, like Elijah, Moses is here with Jesus. By the way, why Moses? Why Elijah? I mean, what, like, why not Abraham and David? Why, why not Moses and Isaiah? Why not Moses and Jeremiah? Why these two men? And, and here's the thing. 
There's a lot of discussion and debate on that actual question. And I'm going to give you a couple of the different answers that, that people give. One is they represent the law and the prophets, right? Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophet. That's the whole Old Testament. I like that, right? Because Jesus is there. He's fulfilling all that they spoke. Okay, I like that. How about this? Both were great deliverers of Israel, right? Moses delivered God's people from the hands of Pharaoh. And, and then we have Elijah who he delivered God's people from the false worship of Baal, right? The false gods of Baal. Well, they both also had a mountaintop experience with God. You, you have Moses on Mount Sinai where he's given the, the law and it's thundering and God's presence comes down. Moses comes down off the mountain. His face is shining like the sun. And then you also have Elijah on Mount Horeb, which by the way, is an, it's, it's Mount Sinai also. And, and God just shred mountains. And he said, my glory is not in any of that. You need to see, like I have more than just power, Elijah. So, okay, maybe it's because they have the same location. And by the way, I think these are all great insights. And, and I have one in which I would lean towards. But here's the deal. If we're not careful, I think we miss what I think really is the main point of that moment. And the main point in, in my thinking is, is this. It's not about Moses. It's not about Elijah. It's all about Jesus Christ in that moment. They are there to see him in all his glory. Moses longed to see the glory of God, right? And if you remember, God gave him a sneak preview, and now he puts a full-on blast because it's all about his son, Jesus, right? Like, and, and I think Peter's missing it. I think he's putting them on the same level. He's like, let me put some tents up. Let's hang out. But, but they're there to see the Son of God in all his glory. They're waiting for the moment of redemptive history to happen. And it's happening now. And it's happening in the history of their lives. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus is shining like the sun. And the best thing that Peter can think about is let's hang out and camp. He still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get it. Now, now, make no mistake about it. Moses was a faithful servant of God. Elijah was a bold witness of his truth. These are both great men of their day. But their primary job was to point to the prophet who would come. They're just shadows. And now that the sun is there, they fade away, right? Listen, look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and 18 with me. Because, because you're going to see that this was prophesied right? The true prophet who would come. Look with me. It says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Look, it says, like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. Jesus is the Savior whom all the prophets were continually pointing towards. Jesus is the one who, who is about to accomplish all that the prophets had spoken of, right? Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Elijah. He's greater than any other prophet for the simple fact that Jesus doesn't point to the glory of God. He actually is, instead, he is the glory of God manifested in the human flesh right there in front of them. Right, like so. This is like our first fill in the blank on your map, and it, it seems so simple, but man, it's it's not. It, it's the point. 
Jesus is superior to all other prophets because he is God. Jesus did not only proclaim the written word of God, but is the word of God in the flesh. See, the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses and Elijah isn't some small sub-point. It's the main point. The whole thing is about Jesus. And if we're not careful, I think we can miss it, right? But, but I'm so thankful that God the Father will not let us miss it. So look with me at verses 7 and 8. It says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Right? As, as if this whole experience is not awesome and terrifying enough, a cloud comes down, right, from heaven. By the way, cloud boy, it has a lot of meanings in the Bible. I'm not going to unpack a lot of that, but here's what I would say, is that cloud is it's generally spoken of as a visible manifestation of God in the Old Testament. Think back to Moses up on Mount Sinai, and God comes down, and he thunders his voice down, right? That's exactly, in, in a sense, of what's happening here right? That's pointing to the, the, when he give, had given the law. Now he's giving his son, right? Like the voice of the father thunders down, but listen to what he says. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And by the way, if you're thinking, then, then you're probably thinking, boy, that sounds very similar to what God the father spoke at Jesus's baptism, right? But there's a, there's a little bit of a change. There's a nuance, right? When, when, he, when he spoke at his baptism, here's what he said. You are my beloved son. Right? Those words were directed to Jesus, for Jesus' sake. But the words he's speaking now, he says, this is my beloved son, are directed to the three disciples on that mountain as a revelation that Jesus is the son of God. The father wanted to make sure that everyone was getting the point. And the point is, is that this is my son. He's the exact imprint of me. You want to know what I'm like? Look at my son. And, and, and just to make sure they get the point, just to make sure we get the point, so much so that like when everyone comes to what just happened, notice, only Jesus remains. Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. And only Jesus remains standing supreme, right? And, and Jesus, the, the unstoppable God, alone is left to continue on his journey towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. That's where he's headed. And, and these two, they're a part of the cloud of witnesses that's spoken in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and 12. And they're watching, they're waiting, because this thing's happening, and it's happening right now, and they're excited. They longed for this day of redemption. And so God, the Father, his voice confirms that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, listen to him. By the way, that's pointing back to the, the, the book in Deuteronomy, right? The text that we just looked at. He's saying, listen to him. This is my son. Jesus has been pleading with people all the way along. Listen to the words of God. Listen to what I have to say. Understand what I'm talking about. We see it all through the book of, of Mark's gospel. But now the father makes the same plea to the disciples. 
By the way, the command to listen applies to all of Jesus' teaching, for sure, absolutely. But I would wager a bet that this is more specifically right here, right now, referring back to the fact that Messiah must suffer and that they get to follow in his footsteps. Listen to him. It's a hard teaching. Who wants to hear that? And God the Father is saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm I'm providing my son. Listen to him. See, the disciples must understand. They must embrace the fact that the road to glory, it has to go through the valley of suffering, right? But but they didn't have a a category of that. That's why God continued. He says, listen to him. It means not only to hear, but to to understand, to think. I mean, I think back a few sermons ago, Pastor Mike was saying, you got to think. He's saying, think, understand, because when they do, well, then they can embrace it. And then they can follow him on this road of suffering and sacrifice. And, And the fact that Jesus is there in glory is a reminder, like, this won't be in vain. This is what's coming on the other side of the cross. So it's like, hang in there, but you must here. And, and the fact that they got to see Jesus transfigured should be a constant reminder that no matter the difficulties that they are about to face, and they're going to face many, that they can endure it because they just got a foretaste of God's glory. And, and, and that's what they needed. They're going to need to be reminded of that moment when suffering comes. And, and, and guess what? It ain't going to be long before it comes because they're going to start heading down the mountain. And that's where we pick it back up in verse 9 and 10. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. All right, so, so now think about this. They're coming down off the mountain. They just had like a mountaintop experience. Right? You get my point? Like, and, and Jesus instructs Peter and, and the boys, the, the, the sons of thunder, to not tell anyone about what they had just seen. And I think that seems like mission impossible, right? Because like when you experience something amazing and profound, the first thing you want to do is go tell everyone about what had just happened. But he says, no, don't do that. Don't do that, which is so perplexing, right? But then he mentions the rising from the dead thing again, right? They're perplexed. Like, what does he mean by rising from the dead? And this points once again to his death. See, they're listening to him, but they're not understanding all that he's saying. They're still on the struggle train to try to figure out how this all works together. The fact that he must suffer and die on a cross and then rise from the dead, especially, especially since they just got to see Jesus transfigured right before their eyes. Which, by the way, Helps us understand Peter when, when Jesus is arrested, right? When he still pulls out his sword, he's still ready to fight. I love that Mike had mentioned the dude whacked this guy's ear off and that's all he got. He's either the most amazing samurai ever or like, I don't, even, I don't know how to explain that, but I'm going to forget about that for a moment, right? But he pulls his sword out and, and, and he's ready to fight. And, and when I think about it with the context of everything he had just seen, no wonder. Why would he allow the Roman soldiers to arrest him? Why doesn't he just like turn into like shining face guy again and like let his glory like turn them all into vapor? Why doesn't he do that? 
And, and Peter's got to be wondering, right? Like, I'm wondering, but we know because we have so much more of the Bible, right? We understand that the reason he didn't fight back is because he did not come to deliver Israel from the Roman soldiers and Roman oppression. He, he came to deliver God's people from the wrath of God. That, that's why he came. To do that, he has to go to a cross. He must suffer. He must die. And then triumphantly, victoriously resurrect. And yet they still, they're just, they're trying to figure it out. So the, the dialogue continues. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Okay, so they're, they're, they're trying to figure this out. And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written that the son of man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. See, they're still wrestling with what's being said here, and, and they want to wrestle kind of secretively, right? Like, they're, they're pushing back, and, and their argument goes like this. They're saying, listen, okay, okay, Jesus, so if Elijah is to come before the day, right, the day when everything is made new, the earth and heaven, like, why do you have to die? Like, that's really what they're asking. And, and they're pulling this question from the Old Testament, which would be their Bible, from, from Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. You can look at that in your own time, but here's what's going on there. It's where Elijah's prophesied to come and turn the hearts of people towards God right before God appears and makes all things new, everything right. And, and you've got to understand, their thinking has logic right? Because they just got to hang with Elijah on the mountain. And therefore, okay, if he has to come, he just came. Therefore, the end must be near. So what's all this talk about you going to a cross and dying? And Jesus's response is shocking, right? Look what he says. He, he essentially says that, yes, you're correct about Elijah coming first. Absolutely. But then Jesus said he has come. He did come. He came in the spirit of John the Baptist, right? And they did to him whatever they pleased. Jesus is saying John the Baptist is the spirit of Elijah in this moment and that he suffered and that he died at the hands of King Herod. Essentially, he's saying Elijah has come and he has gone. And, and he's connecting Elijah to the death of John the Baptist. By the way, that's made explicit in Matthew's gospel in chapter 17, verse 13. So you should look at that in your own time. But, but the point that Jesus is driving home in this moment is any thought of God's glory being removed from the cross of Christ is not acceptable. John suffered, I'm going to suffer, you're going to suffer, and then there will be a day I will return. And the disciples cannot get their minds wrapped around it. They can't imagine that the, the transfigured Jesus that they just saw is going to be the disfigured Jesus on the cross. It, it's just, it's inconceivable. But here's what I want you to know, and I hope you know it. I mean, if you're a Christian, hopefully you know this. So it's the second point. The glory of God shines most brilliantly in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It does. Like, this is where his glory shines, right? Like, it's, it's stunning. That's a strange thing to think about, though, 
right? Like a, a man who's naked, beaten, and bloody is like where you're saying that the, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the majesty of God is shining most brilliantly. That's a strange thing unless you've had eyes to see. By the way, if you have eyes to see, man, I'm going to encourage you to look once more, right, at, at, at this beauty as it's unfolded, right? But if you don't see, say, say that you're, you're listening to what I'm having to say, and you don't see that as a beautiful thing. You see that as a grotesque thing. And you can't conceive of how that I'm saying that the glory of God is shown in the cross of Christ. Then would you do me a favor? Ask God to show you as I read this text. Would you do that, please? Because there was a day I didn't know. There was a day I didn't see. For 23 years, I couldn't see. And then one day, I heard the gospel, and, and, and the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see and believe that Jesus is far greater than anything or anyone I'd ever longed for. He's what my heart was made for. And, and this text, man, I think it just shows it so beautifully. So would you look with me? Romans three twenty-three through 26 It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. let's, Let's stop there for a moment. All have sinned. See, these Jewish men were thinking Messiah's coming and taking down Rome. What they didn't understand, because Rome's the bad guys, right? But what they didn't understand is that they too are bad. They have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you're familiar with the book of Romans, then you understand, like Paul goes through great lengths to make sure that you understand you are guilty. That's why he can say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were made for God's glory. We were made to reflect his glory. We are image bearers of God. And we were made so that we, everything we would do would point back to how great God is. But we have fallen short. We are now fractured image bearers, okay? And so imagine if you took a mirror and you were holding it in front of your face, you would see what you look like. That's reflecting back. That's what it means, right? But now that mirror is broken a trillion places and you try to super glue it back together and it's distorted. We are distorted image bearers and we fall short of the glory of God. We are glory thieves. We really are. We, we don't want to glorify God. We want glory, right? We want people to say how awesome we are. We don't want people to say how awesome God is. And therefore, because of that, that's a great wickedness. We have turned our back from God. We have sought to find life and satisfaction in created things. Therefore, we're fallen. But then listen, it says, and are justified just as if you've never sinned. Made holy by what? Your good deeds? No, by his grace as a gift. It's just a big old gift. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is a gift and it's given to be received through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He did it, not you. You can't take any claim. I can't take any claim. It's not Jesus plus the, you know, my church attendance. It's none of that. It's Christ alone, whom, listen, God put forward as a propitiation, propitiation, a a wrath remover, a wrath absorber, right? He became an object of wrath. God the Father put his son forward as the Lamb of God who would come and take away the sin of the world. How did he do that? It says, by his blood. That means his death. But it's to be received by faith by trusting him, by trusting God's provision, his provision in his son. Why? Why? Listen to what it says. This was to show 
God's righteousness. It was to display his greatness, his perfection, his glory is shining here. Why? Why did he have to do that? Because he needed to vindicate his name. Why did he need to vindicate his name? It says, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He had passed over the sins of David and Bathsheba and and Uriah and all the people had gone before him. He passed over. And so people are thinking, "Is, is God not just? Why does he not punish this wicked behavior? But he, but he, but he wasn't just passing over. There was coming a day when he would send his son and look at what it says, And this was to show his righteousness at the present time. Listen to what it says next. Why? Why did he do this? Why did he send his son? So that he might be just. He is a good, righteous, holy, perfect judge and the justifier, the one who makes you righteous. By the Who's that? The one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see the beauty in this gospel message, in this text? Wrath and mercy, they kiss at the cross. They meet at the cross. God, man, it's a crazy thing to think about, but think, like he hates sinners, and yet he loves sinners, and you have to reconcile that, and it's reconciled at the cross. It's reconciled right there. Jesus died in the place of sinners so that God's perfect justice could be satisfied. Yes, and sinners could escape the wrath of God. This is a stunning display of God's glory. Do you see it? This is why Christ came. He came to show the glory of his son. Jesus came to show the glory of the Father, right? And and. Man, we worship one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, Spirit, and Jesus has two natures. He's fully divine, he's fully human, and in his humanity, he came to suffer and die, and this was to show his Father is a good, just God, and yet he is merciful, he is full of love, and all I see is the beauty of Christ in this moment. Maybe I can draw from another person to help you see it. John Calvin put it this way. He says, For in the cross of Christ, as in a splendid theater, the incomparable goodness of God is set before the whole world. The glory of God shines. Indeed, all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than the cross. If it be objected that nothing could be less glorious than Christ's death, well, I reply that in the death we see boundless glory which is, is concealed for the ungodly. He's saying if you don't see it, it's because you have not been given eyes to see it. But if you are Christ, you see it. It's stunning. And it just becomes more and more beautiful the more we look upon the cross of Christ, the, the resurrection of Christ. My question to you is when you look at the cross of Christ, do you see God's glory shining through? Do you? And if you do, thank him. Give him praise because you didn't do that. I didn't cause my eyes to think that this was beautiful. God allowed me to see. He revealed his glory in and through his son through the preaching of his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And so if that's you, how should you live in the light of this truth? And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time today. Three implications. Number one, listen to the voice of God revealed in the word of God. Right? Like listen to God's word. By the way, that means to obey them. 
not just to hear them, right? So hear the word of God and obey the word of God. And, and you must be thinking, or at least I was, like it'd probably be easier if like Jesus would just show up at my next camping trip, show up like the sun, and like just start telling me what he wants. Well, that, that sounds nice. But can I tell you something? He, we can know what he wants because we have his word. We can know what God desires because he doesn't keep it hidden. He reveals it in the word of God. And, and I want you to see this in 2 Peter. Look with me. It's a lot of text, and I understand that as I was even typing it out and thinking about it. Maybe it's too much, but I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will show you, and then you can go back and look at it in your own time. But look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21, because the Mount of Transfiguration had a huge impact on Peter because he wrote about it in his epistle. Look with me. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For, for when we had received honor, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have seen in the prophetic word, talking Old Testament, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. He's saying, pay attention to the written word of God. Because why? He says, as to a lamp in shining in a dark place, it brings about light. Until when? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You want to know what God thinks? You want to say, I'd love to listen to him, but I wish he would tell me he has told you. He has told you in the written word of God, right? Like Peter, James, and John, they got to see the glory of God on that mountain. They saw Jesus's face shine, and now they are communicating that truth to us in their words through the Bible, and it's from God through them, which is amazing, right? This is why I think it's like crazy when like we neglect the Bible. Because it's, it's more than just, no, I didn't read my Bible today. I didn't check it off my list. It's, it's ignoring the one who loves your soul. It's ignoring the relationship, right? It, it's saying, I don't want to hear from you. People died to get us the Bible, and we don't want to hear it. But man, I wish... I wish you would. Maybe you do. My guess is you do. My guess is you want to hear the word of God. And so, man, let's, let's humble ourselves and be diligent. That's what he's saying here. And ask God to see his glory in the Bible. By the way, he loves to answer that prayer. He loves to. Because here's the deal. His glory shines through every page when you look at it through the lens of the cross. We have more information than what they had in that moment on that mountain. We see much more, right? And like, so, so listen to him. Seek to, to hear him through his word. Be diligent, be humble, seek him. And as you do, second implication, behold. Behold the glory of God in the Son of God and become more like him. 
right? We don't just read for information. We read for transformation. The whole goal of Bible reading is to see and to savor Jesus as all satisfying, more satisfying than anything that this earth has to offer and anything that creation has to offer, to go to the creator, to see him, but also to be changed, to be more like him. And, and I want to show you that in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Would you look with me? It says, and we all, we all with unveiled face, we, we can see it's been pulled back, beholding the glory of the Lord. Huh. Where do we behold it? Where do we see it? In the Bible, right? Are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, right? Like, as we read the Word of God, the Spirit of God is working in us and through us to see, to open our eyes, to, to reveal more of his beauty. And as we see his beauty, we become what we behold. So, so behold him in his word. Jesus knows. He knows that in order for his disciples to get their minds off of things of man, they need to see the glory of God. That's why he showed them right there. He gave them a glimpse. God the Father pulled back the curtain. He says, look at my son. Listen to him. And, and by the way, they would see him, and that would change everything in that moment as Jesus has gone to Jerusalem towards the cross. By the way, the same is true for you and I today. It's the same for us. We need to see more of God's glory. So many times I find that that we, and I'm putting myself in that, we can get our minds on so many things that just like take our, our eyes off of Jesus. We can put our eyes on ourselves, on our suffering, on, on the insecurity, you know, securities of ourselves, um, the situations that we find ourselves in. Even in this day and time, we can think about COVID-19, about our job, and I, I get it. I get it. I really do. These things are, are in your heart and in your mind, but can I tell you something? You and I need to set our minds on Christ. And we do that in the Bible. And as we do, we're transformed. We take our eyes from ourselves. We place them on Jesus. Worry decreases and worship increases. And that's what we need. We're worshipers. We need to worship God. Which brings me to the third and final point. We need to seek to glorify God in all that we do as we patiently wait for God's glory to come in all its fullness. Now, now listen, the text that you've got to take you to in that moment to think about is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So it says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever, okay, that's pretty all-inclusive, right? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do things in such a way that make him look like your treasure, right? Like, like, how do you glorify God is a question that you should think about at times, often, as a matter of fact, because what this says is that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we need to do things in a way that makes him look great, not us, right? How do you do that? You enjoy him. <laughs> you get to know him. You, you love him. It, more than that, like, listen, here's the deal. Like, when we seek to glorify God, we're thinking on him. We're loving him. And when we love God most, we will love others best. And it's about love, right? Jesus came because he loved sinners. 
right? He came to seek and to save. And it's an expression of his love. And, and the more we understand that love, we'll realize this thing ain't about us, not primarily, not foundationally. It's about Jesus. It's about his glory. And so I want to, I, not that we make him great. You don't make Jesus great. He is great. But this broken person who's now been redeemed, image bearer, is to reflect his beauty to the world. And how do you do that? Everything you do. Ladies, you've got to figure out how to glorify God when you change a diaper. How do you do that? I don't know. I'm not a lady, and I haven't changed a diaper in a long time. But I do know this. You need to figure it out. You need to figure it out. When you eat, don't make steak great. Make Jesus great who gave you steak and enjoy the steak because why? You have a good father who gave you a good gift. When you drink, I don't know, uh, Mountain Dew or a really good glass of Cab, that's wine, or some grape juice, if you can't do that, that's cool. But whatever you do, do that in a way that makes not the the drink look great, but God look great who gave you a drink because he's given you this gift. Why? Why? Is, is he a glory hog? <laughs> well, if he weren't God, I guess he would be. But he is God, and it's all about him. And, and he is supremely amazing. He really is. Like, everything fades when, when the glory of God is shining in your heart and in your mind. And when that happens, then we can go, and we can let our light shine before others. Why? Know this, so that others may see our good works and give glory to God, our Father who is in heaven. See, we behold God's glory and then we are transformed by it. And when that happens, people see God's glory and they glorify God because of it. So, like, so let's put that all together, those last three implications. As you and I listen to God's word revealed in the Bible, we see his glory. And by seeing it, we're transformed, right? We become what we behold. We become more like Christ in our thinking, in, in our living. And he becomes the treasure of our heart and that brings him glory. Do you, you see that? Because this is the same exact progression that the disciples went through. Jesus was teaching, he was preaching, they were hearing, they were listening, okay? Now they're on the mountain and they see his glory. And now they are going to be transformed formed by that. As they go with Jesus, then they're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit and they're going to be more like him so that when they go from there, having heard, having listened, having seen, they will glorify their father who's in heaven. They will make Jesus look great up into and even to the point of death for all of them except for John. That's, That's the Christian life. This is the good fight. It's a good fight, but it's a fight. It's a fight nonetheless, and this is what we do until the day. What day? The day that the earth will be filled with the the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea, as it's written in Habakkuk, right? This is one of the greatest promises in all the Bible that is yet to be fulfilled. That day, can I tell you something? It's coming, It's coming. Christian, that day is coming. I know many times we can't see it because we're just stuck in the muck and the mire and we're looking down. I need you. Oh, God, help us to lift our eyes to see you. See you in the, in the word, see you in the world as you hear a bird singing, as you see an Easter lily come up to think on the thoughts that God would have us think on. And that's his greatness because when that happens, When that happens, everything else gets put in order. 
Because no matter the suffering, essentially they're all, as Paul would say, light momentary afflictions. They're just light. You might be thinking, what I'm going through is not light. They're light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is yet to be revealed. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, as we see this, it's all just, it's, it's a mist. The life you're living, Christian, I'm talking to the Christian, the life you're living is as close to hell as you're ever going to be. It really is, right? And only glory awaits. That's the only thing that remains for the son, for the daughter of Christ, right? Like, so look with me, last text, Revelation 21, verse 22 through 23. And, and listen to, to what it says. It says, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it. Why? I love this. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. You see what it's saying? Like Jesus' face, which is shining, his glory is going to be the one that, that like radiates from him for all of eternity. We're not going to need a sun. We won't need a moon because Jesus will be the thing that illuminates everything. His light is going to come from him, kind of like on this mountain, only magnified times a number that I actually don't even understand. Because why? Well, because the dwelling place of God is with man. That's where you're going. That's where you're going. Christian, when you die, you do not go to the grave. Your body goes to the grave. Your spirit goes to be with the Father. And there will be a day when your spirit is, is rejoined with your body. You then will be glorified. And not only will Jesus be shining like the sun, yes, he will. But can I tell you something? The Bible says that you yourselves will shine in heaven. You will shine in the kingdom of glory. Why? Because Jesus has done it all. He's done everything. And that's what we see here. It is all about Jesus Christ. So worship him. Get to know him. Love him. Adore him. And in this time, this strange season that we are currently living in, would you go and let your light shine before the world so that God would receive the glory that he so deserves? He is so worthy, right? Be creative, be wise, be smart, like wear a mask, wear goggles. But, but listen, you've got to figure a way to go to your neighbors and tell them this good news because their life is a mist. Their life is a mist and our lives are a mist. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life just with trinkets and, and playing video games. No, get your mind on the things of God. And go tell the world about this beautiful Christ displayed on the cross, resurrected, and now ruling and reigning over all things, including the coronavirus. You can trust him. If you can trust him with your salvation, you can trust him in this moment. He's a good God. Would, would, listen, let's, let's pray. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. God, for, for all my friends and for those who I don't even know, you know them. You knit them in their mother's womb and you love them. You've created them for your glory. God, show them more of your glory because I know when they see, oh, they will believe. They have a sight problem and you're the one that can help them see. And so God, I pray that you would do that. Help your church to see more of your beauty, more of your glory so that Lord, as we go from here, wherever that may be, 
Lord, that we would live in a way that is shown that we have seen this glory, that it's changed us, and that we live lives that would seek to glorify you. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you are the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world and all that have faith in you, well, we are as spotless and we are as white as snow. As far as the east is to the west, you see no more of our sin because it was all absorbed in you on the cross. And now we're a new creation, one that can love you, one that can love our neighbors. God, help us to do that, not for any of our glory, but for yours alone. We ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Gospel on, people. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.